God, we honor you in this house. We thank you, God, for your presence that we feel here. God, we praise you for all that you are and all that you do. God, as we begin to break the bread of life, let us realize the very nature of who you are, God. That you have a plan, a purpose, and a design for our lives, Lord. That not us nor the enemy can ever overwhelm, usurp, or take advantage of, God. You are the great architect of our souls. And we pray today, God, that as we enter into your presence, it is not in vain, it is not for our vain glory, it is not for us to be uplifted, but God, it is to be you who is magnified and us, God, basking in your glory. We seek you today, Father. Help us find you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. And amen. You may be seated if you're able to this morning. So the governor of West Virginia has passed a mandate this past week. I know there was a lot of questions. People were asking me questions about it. And so just let me catch you up on it. It was mandated that any building uh, besides your home that you can't socially distance in, you have to wear a mask. The reason we're not requiring masks here is because we are able to social distance. We set this up from the beginning. Uh, to be able to be more than six feet away, we bring you in, we take you out, uh, bring you in front to back, leave back to front. That way you're never walking past someone who is already seated. Uh, as the guidelines have uh, changed, we've kind of not had to change anything because we started out this way. Um, as long as you behave yourself and stay in your seats, <sighs> something we were supposed to learn in kindergarten, but some of us skipped that day. But as long as we are uh, able to do that, then we're okay until, you know, until further notice. This thing is fluid. Um, a good friend of mine uh, had to shut his church down. I actually went to high school with him. Uh, he shut his church down today. At, they has a kind of relatively small church down around Charleston. And uh, they had to go back to online because they had someone that showed up. Now, they had went back, totally back, like Wednesday nights and everything. And I guess Wednesday night, someone came in, got sick Wednesday night after church tested positive so now and the pastor said he spent a considerable amount of time around them so he thinks that he's probably uh, been exposed to it so now they're back uh, I don't want to come in go back out come in go back out so we're trying to do what we can to stay open amen so help us out with that and uh, uh, please try to uh, be mindful of that we're not we're not living in fear but we are trying to follow the guidelines because we don't want to reese you know go backwards we don't want to have to go back out and I'm, I'm glad we're able to be in the house even if this is the way that it has to be at least we're here amen so I preached to a camera for three months <laughs> I, had, I had nine other people in this room and preaching at a camera for nine months I'm glad to see some faces so I don't want to have to go back out uh, Bishop Lipsy who's preached here for me and, and will preach for me again Lord willing uh, his wife got it and uh, there was a bad outbreak in in Cleveland and again they kind of they kind of they kind of rushed back in. They had a Jason Crab concert, and they had a uh, one-day state camp meeting, and the place was packed. And then like 15 people got it, and then it was 32 people that had it. And uh, you're talking about several hundred people that came together for a concert and different things. And 
Uh, I, so we're not rushing back that degree. We're going to keep we're going to keep maintaining this social distance kind of thing, and and then we'll we'll wait for uh, the 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 healing that's coming that we're praying for, uh, before we we try to we, we we use wisdom. We we do walk by faith, but we're supposed to use wisdom as we walk by faith. Amen. So uh, having said that, last week I began a new series, and the series is titled "Under God." And we began discussing some things last week that was just kind of preliminary. I'm going to do that again this week. We're kind of building a foundation because this series is going to be quite lengthy. We're going to be discussing the names of God, who He is, what His names mean, His attributes, His nature. We're going to look at who God really is. And to be honest with you, the reason I felt like I needed to do this, uh, this series this year is because it seems like we have, even in the church, lost track of who God really is. It's difficult for me to, to operate according to my plan, my purpose, and my design if I don't know who my designer is. If I don't understand who God is, I have a difficult time understanding who I am because he made me. And, and so we're going to be looking at his, his attributes, and I don't want to rush through it, so I'm going to just take my time. But this week, we're going to talk a lot about, uh, about his plan specifically for you, for your life. If you understand that there is a plan, you'll live your life differently. You will, you will handle situations differently if you know that you're not the end-all, be-all. If, if everything's not up to you to make everything right, to make every crooked way straight, if you know that this too shall pass, then you'll handle things differently than you do when you feel like you have to make all the decisions and determine the outcome. Amen? I've been spending a lot of time, a, a lot of time at the new church facility, uh, at the new building. And... Uh, back uh, BC me, uh, I took, uh, I was in college and I had taken drafting and engineering because I was in an engineering degree program. And so I'm, I'm familiar with uh, the mechanical structure of buildings. And the longer I'm in that building and the more things I find, I'm amazed at a 90-year-old building and the way that it was built then. It would be hard to build that building today the way it's built, the concrete that was used, 10 foot over their head pouring 12-inch pours. and I don't know how it was done back then. It'd be difficult to, to get a crew together to do it today. That building, I'm not sure that an earthquake could take that building down. Now, don't get me wrong. We got some issues. Rain was coming in the other day. We got rain coming up through the floor. We got rain coming in the windows, but those things will be fixed. But I can tell you right now, you could fill that whole building up with, with rain, and, and you would have a 30-foot deep swimming pool because the building ain't going anywhere. I'm not sure that, they could sh that, 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 that the walls of Jericho earthquake could shake that building down. It is a sound building as far as the structure goes. And, and I, the reason I was thinking about this as I was working there this week is that if I can convince you of what I want to convince you of this morning, you'll know that your life is like that too. Your life is earthquake proof. Not because of who you are, but who the architect was that put your life together. I know you're tough. I know you've been through some seasons in your life. There's been some times you could have given up and you didn't give up. And because of all that, you've gained wisdom and knowledge and, and, and some muscles and, and, and you've got some thick pachyderm skin. I get all of that. But what I'm going to point to this morning is that there is a great architect that has orchestrated all the comings and goings of your life. And you didn't realize it at the time when you were going through it, but that he already had the end in mind before he ever brought you through it. And today, even this moment, 
was on his schedule, when he was designing who you were, he was preparing you for where you're going to be. Thanks be unto God. That means your life is shake-proof. It's earthquake-proof. The the, the weapons formed against you can never prosper because of who it was who designed you to be who you are today. So as we begin to look at this issue, if I had a a secondary title this morning, uh, we're talking about uh, under God. If I had a secondary title, it would be simply this. If it's meant to be, it'll be. If it's meant to be, it'll be. And not you or hell can stop it. If it's meant to be, it'll be. And it doesn't matter if you like it, it'll, it'll be. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter if it feels good or feels bad, it, it'll be. Because there's an architect in the works that has already designed everything for your life. The purpose of your life is to be what God planned for you. One reason that David was so blessed was because of David's gift. And make no mistake about it, the Bible says that your gift will make room for you and it will bring you before great men. And what a funny gift David had, throwing rocks. I had that gift when I was a little boy, but it didn't bring me before great men. It brought me before the principal. And it brought me before my daddy with a belt in his hand. Because I had that same gift that David did. But nobody recognized it as a gift when I was throwing rocks at cars. But if you throw rocks at giants, it brings you into the king's palace. Now make no mistake, David was a great leader. He was a brilliant uh, war strategist. He was a strong songwriter and an instrument maker and and a gifted musician. But none of those gifts caught Saul's attention. What caught Saul's attention was his aim. Because it brought down a giant. So we should never despise the gifts that we have. Because it doesn't have to be a great gift for the architect to use it in a great way. So David becomes effective and he becomes promoted and none of that bothers Saul. When David is becoming a great musician, Saul was not troubled by that. He gets anointed and he gets blessed and that doesn't bother Saul. Saul was fine until they came back from the battlefield. And along the roadside, the women started singing a song. Saul has slain his thousands and David has killed tens of thousands. When Saul heard them compare his success with David's success, the Bible says he started looking at David differently. So Saul gets hostile toward David over something that somebody else said about him. Mm. It's not like David came back singing, Saul only killed a thousand, but I killed tens of thousands. This is why the same ones who congratulate you are sometimes the ones who create enemies for you. Because some people can't stand for anybody to get celebrated except themselves. So when people start celebrating you, make no mistake, it's painting a target on you. Because when some people lift you up, some folks can't wait to tear you back down. That's the reason why it's such a bad idea to compare yourself with somebody else. Because you really don't know what success looks like if you're looking at it in the life of somebody else. When you see the blessings of God on somebody else, we think it's it's nice, or it must be nice to be them. 
It must be nice to have a pond out there by their house like Ron Hall's got. But the problem is you've got to live with Ron Hall to have that pond. And nobody wants that. That's why his wife kept her own house. So no matter what God gives you, you will never be happy because you or you live in a life that you're comparing to somebody else. What do people say, I want a successful marriage. Well, what's a successful marriage look like? Is it what I see on TV? I hope not. Is it what your mom and daddy have? Listen to me, I found out a long time ago, you can do something a long time and still be doing it wrong. I have been pastoring long enough to know and done enough marriage counseling to know that you can be married for a long time and not be doing it the right way. So what do you really mean when you look at somebody and say, I want a marriage like Scott and Michelle. I want a marriage like Pastor and Sister Amanda. What's Pastor and Sister Amanda have? Do you really know? No, you don't. So when you start gauging your success based on somebody else's life, you have missed the point that God didn't design you to be them. He designed you to live your life and to do it according to the way that he scheduled your life. Now, all of us have a certain amount of ego, and ego drives us. That's why you did your hair before you came to church. I know when you came in, you said, I don't really care how I look, but let's be honest. If you really totally didn't care how you looked, it'd be a totally different scene in here. I mean, if you really didn't have no ego whatsoever, it looked like it looks like on a Saturday evening at your house. You'd be sitting here with a mustard stain on your shirt, some of your hair going that way, some of it going that way. You ain't brushed your teeth in about three days. You have no idea. You got one slipper on. You have no idea where the other one is. I mean, it would be a different scene in here altogether. Now, I've lived enough days to know that uh, uh, I used to think women dressed to catch the attention of men. But I've lived enough days now to know that women actually dress for other women because men don't notice nothing. And by the way, that problem starts early too. Because I can remember when Hannah was like two or three years old and her mama was at the store helping her pick out a dress and Hannah's question was, will Jaylen like it? She wasn't, she wasn't worried about what she liked. She wasn't know Jaylen was going to like it. Because that problem begins early for these, for these ladies. My wife will be, I'll be preaching somewhere, and my wife will go with me, and she'll say some woman came up to her and blessed her real good or told her a word or something. i say, who was it? She'll say, you know, the lady with the white dress and the cute sh- shoe. I ain't paying no attention to nobody's shoes. I don't even know if they got shoes on their feet. She'd be like, you know, the woman with the hoop earrings. I can't even see your ears from here. I don't know what kind of earrings you got on. So trust me, ladies. Listen, I know you get upset with your men because they didn't realize that you went to the salon and got a new perm. I I know you get upset because he didn't notice. But trust me, all the sisters realized it. They all saw it. Before you ever got in the front door of the church, they said, oh, she done been to to the salon. Okay, so, so, so you have to understand how things, we see things differently. So when you start comparing yourself to other folks, you're missing the point of who God created you to be. God gives you a level of performance that you need for your purpose. So he will never give you a level of performance to live up to somebody else's purpose. 
My wife tells me all the time, I can't preach like you. I say, honey, you ain't got to preach like me. God didn't design you to be me. He designed you to do you, and he's going to give you a level of performance to match your purpose. He didn't call you to be me. So what, you can, what that will help you do is step out of the shadow of somebody else and step into the glorious light of who God created you to be, and you can excel at being you. You will stink at being me. I will be awful at being you. But I can be excellent at being who God created me to be. That's why in the Bible Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Some of y'all was wondering if I was ever going to get any Bible into this. Paul says, for we dare not. Don't do it. Just stop right now. Don't dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves, are not wise. So folks that look at other people and compare themselves with each other or people that look at themselves and compare themselves are not wise. Because when you compare yourself with somebody else, you're talking about somebody who is living a different life whose purpose is different than yours, and you can never be them. That's why you get a hostile reaction, fellas, when you try to get somebody else to compare them to somebody else in, their, in your life. When you look across the table and say, my mama didn't make biscuits like this. She's going to look back across the table and say, well, then call your mama. <laughs> call your mama to have, you, have her bake you some biscuits because I am done. John Wayne. Jesus asked his disciples one day, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And well, somebody, somebody said, you're Isaiah. Somebody else said, you're Jeremiah. Oh, I heard somebody, somebody else compared you to John the Baptist or to one of the other prophets who has come back from the dead. And Jesus said, enough of this about who they say I am. Who do you say that I am. Peter, the only one, 11 of them had no answer. Peter speaks up, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, you ain't even understood yet how you're going to preach on the day of Pentecost, but you are preaching already because you don't understand that I'm going to use anybody who will celebrate who I am, not who I am compared to. And you need to realize and start celebrating people who celebrate who you are, not comparing you to everybody else. You're not like everybody else at the office. You're not like everybody else in the PTA. You won't be like everybody else at Promise of Victory. You won't be like his ex-wife. You won't be like her ex-husband. You won't be like somebody else that lives across the street. Your house ain't their house. Their pool ain't your pool. You ain't got to mind it and tend it. Thank God I ain't got a pool to take care of. I've put enough chemicals in pools in my life. If they go look across the street and say, that is a good looking pool, glad it's over there. When y'all have these babies, glad y'all taking them home with you. I'm done racing babies. I, don't, <laughs> I ain't trying to be nobody else and do what I ain't designed to do. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12. Paul says that we should be to the praise of his glory. He first trusted us. We should be to the praise of his glory. We should be. He, he didn't tell you to praise. He says to 
be praise. That we should be to the praise of His glory. Paul's teaching you that praising the Lord's good, but that your life is supposed to be praise. He didn't say come to church and do praise. He said everything that you do, be praise. When you understand that the purpose you are living in is for the Lord's will, your very presence is a praise wherever you go. Your presence is a praise in every situation. This will liberate you because you will stop complaining that you don't have more money, that you're not taller, that you don't have enough hair, that you don't have any hair, that you don't have more education. And what you'll start doing instead of complaining about what you don't have is you'll start celebrating about what God gave you because even if I only kill a thousand, but you kill tens of thousands, at least my thousand is still dead. At least I did something. It was worth getting out of bed to do even what I did. And you'll start celebrating who you are and the life that you live instead of complaining about what somebody else got that you don't have. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I don't have time to talk about godliness in this sermon because that's a sermon in and of itself. So first you've got to be godly. Because you really can't ever get content unless you're first godly anyway. So godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that word gain does not mean increase. In the original vernacular, that word gain is profit. Okay. In other words, it is profitable when you become content to be you. It's profitable. What is profit? Profit is what you got left when all the transactions are. When, when, you, have, when you have spent everything, when you have uh, traded all you got to trade, when you have utilized and used up everything, what you got left over, that's the profit. So Paul says, when you have used all your energy, what you have left over, if you are content with yourself, it's profitable. That's why Isaiah told us in Isaiah 46, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 46, verse 10, I say that, the Bible says that Isaiah knew that God had planned the end from the beginning. He planned the end. He spoke the end from the beginning. Now, what does that mean? The end of what? The end of time. The end of everything. God already knows. How many of you uh, agree with this? God already knows when the end of this thing's wrapping up. Okay. Now the Bible says that only God knows. That the angels don't know and Jesus didn't know and nobody else. But God himself knows when the end of this thing is going to wrap up. He spoke the end from the beginning. Now you mean to tell me you, that, me that he has spoke the end of this whole thing? And forgot your chapter? He forgot your part? He don't have no plan for you. He's got a plan for the whole wide world. He knows when he's going to close and bar the door and burn the whole thing down. But he forgot to write you into the story. Come on now. The architect drew and designed everything, including 
your part of the story. If he spoke the end, then he obviously declared my part, my plan. What does that even mean? It means that once God spoke it, it stops being my responsibility to bring it to pass. I've got the original blueprints of that building over there uh, in, my, in the office over there. <laughs> they're really old. And, 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 and it's amazing to me that they're hand-drawing these things, you know, in the 1920s. But that architect knew in his mind, he's dead gone now. He doesn't exist anymore. But what he thought in his mind is still standing. Because he was able to articulate what he thought, put a thought on the paper. Somebody read what he wrote. Somebody read what he wrote. Utilized that design and built something that is still standing today. If you will ever learn how to read what he wrote, there is an architect that has already designed everything from the, from the beginning. He already picked out the end and every step in between. And if you can ever learn how to read what he wrote, then you will build something that will, be, that will remain and stand as steadfast. And your whole life will be looked at differently. You will imagine yourself the way God imagined you, who was the author and the finisher of your faith. Once God spoke it, it became his responsibility to make it happen. That means the plan was already set. That means God's not waiting. Or you're not waiting on God to do something. God's waiting on you to do something. Because he spoke the plan. And if he spoke the plan, this is good stuff right here. If he spoke the plan, then it becomes his responsibility to give all the provision to make the plan possible. That means if he knows that you're supposed to do something, it's his responsibility to provide everything that you're going to need to become what he created you to do. Have you ever started baking something and get halfway through, mixing everything and realize you ain't got all the ingredients? You ever started out to bake a cake and cake turned into biscuits? Because <laughs> there ain't no sugar in that cabinet. God don't ever do that. God didn't ever start mixing up Michelle and realize, oh, I didn't put enough empathy in. He, he didn't ever start mixing one of you up or let you get about 12, 14 years old and meant, oh, man, I forgot to add a personality. He doesn't do that. God had an end in mind when he spoke it from the beginning. And if God had a purpose, it's God's responsibility to provide everything to make it possible. Why Jeremiah tells us that God's thoughts toward us is plans of peace, not of evil. To bring us where? To an expected end. So who has the plan? God, the architect. So where do we go to find God's plan? Well, we can't wait on a text message. He will not uh, slide into your DMs or give you any Facebook messages. His will's already written for you. You don't have to go down to Hallmark and buy a card. You don't have to order some uh, fancy Bible that somebody just wrote uh, and given their commentary. His, his plan's already in the Word. And if you ever study the Word, certain, of your, certain aspects of your identity and your passion will start coming alive in you and you'll realize that what he wrote all the way back then 
applies to your life right here and right now. Because the Holy Spirit speaks to you in two ways when you're in the Word. Number one, by giving you revelation of what it is that you're hearing. And number two, by telling you and revealing to you how it applies to your plan. It amazes me how two people can hear the same sermon I preach, go out in the parking lot and start discussing it, and they both heard two different sermons. And neither one of them is what I preach. <laughs> one of them will be like, oh, this thing helped my marriage. I'm like, I didn't say nothing about nobody's marriage. And the other one to hear her say, uh, that's going to help my marriage, she looked over and went, that wasn't even about marriage. I, this is about healing, and I claimed my healing day, and I said, I didn't talk about healing either. Did any of you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? But what it is is that when you start speaking the word, the word applies it to individual plans because the architect designed you to be you and he is providing everything through his written revelation to you to bring to pass the plan in your life. So you're hearing the culmination of your plan sitting beside of somebody, well, six feet from somebody now, but you're sitting six feet from somebody who is hearing the culmination of their plan. So God's using the same word to touch every life in a different individual way because my plan is not your plan. Isn't God good? Isn't he awesome? So, 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 so they both heard the same message, but it became alive to them differently. But if you're never in the Word, you're never giving the Holy Spirit a chance to show you the plan. Because keep reading Jeremiah 29, and you'll find out in the next verse that it says, when you call on me I, and you pray to me, I'll hearken unto you. I'll hear you. See, you'll find the plan, but you've got to first seek the architect. If you don't want to know the plan, you'll never discover it. You'll just stagger into stuff. You'll just stumble into stuff. You will take God's plan for granted and misappropriate blessing. My God, I don't even have time to get into this. I don't even have time to get into this. God will give you blessing on blessing on blessing that you will put in the wrong account. Because you think it's all about you living in the moment right now. God gave me this to make me happy, and it didn't have nothing to do with making you happy. It had to do with the plan that he had for you, and the plan may not be uh, looking like a plan today. It might be for 10 years down the road, and you think you've got to absorb it and consume it, so you'll be banking your blessings in the wrong account. Because you don't have patience to wait for the plan. I don't even have time to go over to the vision of the seven fat cows eating up the seven skinny cows. Don't, 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 don't waste everything you have because one day you're going to need it. Some of us feel like we got too many friends. And then you turn around one day and you realize I don't have any. Because you misappropriated the blessing God gave you. And he wasn't giving it to you for a season. I'm too busy for friends. and you just I'm too busy for friends and I'm too busy for friends. But when busy stops and you don't have any friends... I, I'm t I don't have time for friends. I don't have time for friends. And then when the time frees up and you never develop friendships, you misappropriated the blessings because you didn't realize the plan was bigger than the moment that you were living in. See, see, see I, I know I quote it all the time. If I, got one, if I got one scripture, I have quoted more than any other scripture in my life. What is it? Romans 12 and 2. If it's not Romans 12 and 2, it's got to be Romans 12 and 1. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
By how? The renewing of your mind. So what? So that you can what? Prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Okay, God's plan for your life is a good plan. His will for your life is a good will. It's an acceptable will. It's a perfect will. He designed you to live this life. If it's meant to be, it'll be. That means every season I'm in, God planned that season. Pastor, you don't know what kind of struggle I'm in. No, but I know that he spoke the end from the beginning. So this season may have took you by surprise, and it may blindsided me, but God was fully aware of what you'd be going through right now. He knew your dry seasons. He knew your unfruitful seasons. He knew the seasons. Y'all ain't going to like me for saying this, but either God is sovereign or he's not. He's either omniscient or he's not, because you're not going to. Go ahead and write me an email this, this week and get angry with me. But God even knew the seasons when you was going to run off the track. When I was living in rebellion to him, when I, was, when I had left him, when I was a prodigal in the hog pen, I was still the father's prodigal. Read the story again. When he came back, he never referred to him as anything but my son. My son, who was lost, has come back home. So even in the hog pen, he knew my unfruitful seasons. Was he in charge of it? Nope. Those were my decisions. How much farther along had I been, would I be right now had I not went by the way of the hog pen? How much more would I be accomplishing right now had I not went through the hog pen and spent my season there? I, who knows what my life would look like today had I avoided the hog pen? But make no mistake about it, it didn't shock God. Because he's the architect and he spoke the end from the beginning. The Bible tells me in John chapter 16, one of the most, one of my favorite verses. I know I'm Pentecostal and I'm supposed to like Acts 2 and 4 above everything. I'm one of them two by four Christians. But one of my favorite verses in, is in John 16 about the Holy Spirit because it reveals the will and the purpose and the plan of sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not testify of himself. When the spirit of truth comes, he won't testify of himself, but he will guide you into truth. And catch this. He will speak of things to come. He will show you the truth, and he'll show you the future. He'll show you the truth, and he'll show you the future. He's God's GPS system. He'll show you the truth. And it shows the future. He is God living inside of you, acting like a GPS. Turn right. Now go straight. And some of us, when we start listening to GPS, we start kicking it, saying, How come you ain't saying nothing? I ain't heard you say nothing. Now, I have one in my truck now. I've had different GPSs, most of you probably have too. I got one in my truck now. And my GPS now, every 10 miles, it reminds you because it knows how impatient I am. So if I'm on the road and I'm going somewhere and I'm going 30 miles on a, on a, a certain road, every 10 miles it'll say, stay on course another 20 miles. 
because it knows that if I drive too far and I haven't heard her say nothing because it's a female voice and I know she's supposed to be talking. Y'all ain't going to help me right there. <laughs> she said nothing to me and I think she's mad at me. If you don't get any further direction, you're supposed to follow the last instruction. Here's what I learned about GPSs. It tells you to go a certain way, and as long as you don't deviate from the path, the GPS will continue to be silent because you are following the instructions that you last received. The only time you hear anything is when you get off the... When you get off an exit, she gets mad. Make a U-turn. Get back on the road. And farther up the road I drive because I'm trying to get some gas or I'm going to get a burger or something. And, and, and if I don't tell her where I'm going, she's like, hey, you big dummy, the road's back there. And then if I drive too far, here's the one, recalculating. Now, I don't know how many of you have made God recalculate, but I told Kayla Marino last week, she texted me about, uh, uh, she was asking me some questions about guardian angels. I said, I don't know how many of them I got, but I'm pretty sure I wore a couple of them out in my former life. Before I came to Jesus, I'm pretty sure some of my guardian angels went on Social Security because I wore them slap out. I wore the brakes off of some guardian angels back in the day. And, 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 and listen, God has had to recalculate. <laughs> this is just me testifying Y'all have always been right in line with God. But I'm pretty sure God has had to recalculate his system for my life from time to time. Because I've gotten so far off the path, God's like, even I can't bring him all the way back here. I'm just going to have to make a new path. But thanks be unto God, I know he's a mountain mover and a bridge builder. And he's a bridge over troubled water. And he don't just abandon me. He says, even though you got so far out the way, I will make a way back for... So this... Where you are right now has not escaped God in the least. He knew you'd be you. He knew you'd be living this life. If this is not your best life, find His will and live it because His will will revolutionize your existence. He spoke a plan. If it's meant to be, It'll be. You know what else GPSs don't ever tell me? Slow down. There's a pothole up ahead. You find them on your own. The GPS, I got one of them. My Tundra's got a real nice GPS. It tells you how fast you are traveling and how fast they tell you you're allowed to travel at the same time. And if you get too far over that, it'll start blinking red. I told you it's a female. It'll start blinking red because you are going way too far over the uh, expectation of the manufacturer of this road. Holy Ghost does that to me sometimes too. He says, pump the brakes, bucko. You're going too fast. <laughs> I designed this road, but I, and I did not design for you to take it so quickly. But here's the deal. Uh, sometimes I'm going too fast, and there's a pothole that I didn't get warned about. And if I'm driving caught recklessly, the consequences are mine. It's not the GPS's fault I broke a tire rod in. It's not the GPS's fault that I busted a tire. It told me which way to go. I decided how fast, how slow, how recklessly that I accomplished. I'm accomplishing its will. Its plan was to get me to the destination. If I get there on a tow truck, it's not the GPS's fault. So you're where you are right now. You're seated right where you are. 
You're living right where you are. You're working right where you are. You're in the relationship right where you are. Because God knew you would be there. He didn't make the decisions for you. But if it's not fruitful, if it's a pothole in life, get out. Don't just stay there because, well, I guess it's just, no, no, no. If it's meant to be, it'll be. Do something. Follow the plan. He spoke the end from the beginning. So I want to pray with you this morning before we dismiss you. Um, we're under God. We are under God. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we don't have some decisions that we make. God is in control of everything. The longer we go in this series, you'll find out more and more about how in control He really is. But sometimes you hit some potholes not because not you're going the wrong direction, but because on your way to His destination, His will, His plan for you, you did something, made a decision, made some choices you shouldn't make. Maybe you got off a detour. Maybe He had to recalculate. Because you got so far off the exit, he was like, even I can't get you back. But God won't leave you. He'll go with you all the way, even to the end. Doesn't mean you can do anything you want to, not get the, not get the life you want. But you're under God. The situation that you're in right now is under God. The sickness that you're fighting through is under God. The demons that are coming against you are under God. Make no mistake about it. We've got this, we got this image like I see on Facebook sometimes where Jesus and the devil is in an arm wrestling match. Please. The devil don't want none of Jesus. He's the undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion of the whole universe, and he's never lost a battle. The devil's not arm wrestling with Jesus. You make it a fair fight when you pick the wrong destiny. So I want to encourage you this morning. Your life's under God. Will you bring your decisions, will you bring your life that you live under God, get in alignment with Him? Because He's taking you somewhere. Make no mistake about it. If it's meant to be, it'll be. He's taking you somewhere. The way you get there, the bumpier the road, the more detours you're forced to go on, that's not on the God. He's the GPS. That's on you. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of taking the wrong exit. I'm kind of tired of not arriving when I should arrive because I took the wrong way to get there. And I would rather my life be, at this point, I'm just tired of fighting God. He's, he, he's too big for me to arm wrestle with. So let's pray. I want to pray a, a prayer of submission this morning before we leave. Can we do that? I mean, the nation... The nation needs a healing. I mean, there's all kinds of craziness going on and people fighting against people. I never thought I'd see grown people fighting over whether you should wear masks or not. I mean, just getting angry and, and throwing punches and stuff over people not wearing masks or wearing them. Hey, the, the, the nation needs a healing. We will never do that unless we get our, our attitudes, our lives under God. So let's pray. Father. We have went our own way. The Bible says like sheep, we have all went our own way. We went astray because we chose our own path and made our own decisions. So, God, today, even while we're sitting here, God, even as we're getting ready to be dismissed from this service, we pray that your Holy Spirit will 
tune us into your frequency, the frequency of heaven, so that we can not only hear, but that we will follow, discern, and accomplish what you have set out for our lives. We need you in our life. We need you today more than we've ever needed you before. Our nation needs you to heal us. Our families need you. God, I need you. I don't want to be walking around aimlessly. I don't want to be getting in off too many detours. I want, God, to follow your plan for my life. You have designed me for a purpose. Let me live according to that purpose in Jesus' righteous name. And everyone that agrees to that says, Amen.